Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Run With Soul podcast. I'm your host, Beck Mitchell, and today uh, you're going to hear from an absolute superstar of a guy. Um, his name is Jonathan Negretti, and he hails all the way from Phoenix, Arizona. Welcome, Jonathan. Hello, hello. So good to have you with us today. Thanks for joining us. Um, Just a little bit about you, Jonathan. Uh, You're the principal at Negretti and Associates, which is a lawyer's firm in Arizona, I believe. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Um, And Jonathan and I actually met uh, at the start of the World Marathon Challenge, which is obviously what I've been uh, talking about over the last couple of episodes. And today, um, I'm just going to ask Jonathan a couple of questions about his experience and um, and have a bit of a chat because I think Jonathan's got some amazing insights that he's going to share with us, which will be very cool. Um, But first, I just thought it might be awesome if the audience gets to know you a little bit, Jonathan. So would you like to just introduce yourself, who you are and where you're from? Sure. So I was originally born in New York uh, in the United States and then moved out to Arizona when I was a kid. So I grew up in Arizona, which is on the other side of the country. So it would be the equivalent of saying I was born in Perth, but now I live in Melbourne. It's just, it's completely different uh, environments to grow up in. But Arizona is a great place to live, a great place to be, especially if you're an outdoor enthusiast and you like to train and like to to run because the weather is spectacular almost year round. You get really, really hot summers, but you can still get out and run early mornings and late night. And it's uh, it's beautiful to, to do so. You don't get the the cold weather that you would get in, in different parts of the, the country that would prohibit that. So it's a great place for that. I grew up here. I always wanted to learn how to surf. And so I I decided after I went to Arizona State University, after I got my undergrad, that I was going to move out to California and buy a surfboard and live about a block or so from the beach and learn how to surf. And I did I did two of the three things. I moved out to California and I bought a surfboard, but I never learned how to surf. <laughs> I got so caught up in working that I never actually got the... Uh, opportunity to learn how to surf. I did go out and catch a few waves, but never really could call myself a surfer. Ended up coming back to Arizona. I worked in in um, newspaper advertising for about 15 years. I helped a, a friend of mine start a, a company out here that uh, grew into a pretty successful business, and then they eventually sold that off. And I was looking for another challenge. I was looking for something different to do in my life. And that thing became law school. And so I went to law school, which is a three-year program in, in the United States. And, and I did this later in life. So a lot of my classmates were, were much younger, uh, were fresh out of their undergrad, were really inexperienced and had no thought on what they wanted to go do. They just wanted to practice law. I went to law school with a different thought process. I wanted to go make a difference and, and help people. And so I, I immediately started my own law firm when I graduated and have been helping people ever since. And personally, I've always been into trying different things. But a few years back, I stumbled across a guy. His name is Rick Steele. You know Rick because he did the World Marathon Challenge with us. Yes, and of course. Rick is, yeah, Rick is a, a guy who very much lives a life above the, 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 
the level of where normal people operate. He's always trying to level up and look for where that ceiling may be. And, and he's inspired me to do some of those same, same things personally. And so I've started to do all of these crazy endurance type activities with him because it's just been fun to try to have someone to do these with. And we're always challenging each other. And so we've gone and done endurance runs. We did the Grand Canyon rim to rim to rim in one day, which is a 52 mile trek. Uh, through a canyon, you have about 15,000 feet of elevation gain. And and we've done Tahoe. And then we stumbled upon the World Marathon Challenge. And when he told me he was going to go do this and wanted me to join him, I, I was like, how can I say no to that? And so I ended up on this trip with you. And what an amazing experience it was. Oh, absolutely. And I love um, that Rick almost introduced you to it in a way because that was going to be one of the things I'd love to hear about was why the triple seven because so many people ask me that same question and most of the time they look at me a little bit crazy when I said this is what I've done you know a lot of people do think it's impossible so it's not exactly you know something that you kind of just wake up one day and go I'm going to go and do this but um, maybe your answer to that would be well Rick told me so. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's right. Well, everything's impossible back until someone does it, right? And and I really try to live life by that maxim that if if it's impossible, it's only impossible until someone does it. And I'll rewind the clock a little bit back into my early 20s when I was completing my undergrad at Arizona State University. I went on a backpacking trip right after I graduated and I wanted to see the world. I wanted to experience a different part of the world because the world is such a big place and it's so amazing the people that that come from all different walks of life. And I ended up coming, I was in Europe and I ended up getting sick. And I'm not, this was not Europe's fault. So don't worry, Europe, you're in the clear. But I got sick on that trip. I just remember getting sick. And I came back from that trip and I had I had gone a undergone a battery of tests and was seeing all these doctors trying to figure out what was wrong with me. I was rapidly losing weight. I was having problems with my stomach. I wasn't eating. And I ended up being diagnosed with a a disease called ulcerative colitis, which is in the irritable bowel syndrome or uh, irritable bowel disease family. It's Crohn's is another sister disease of that. And and I came down with this. I didn't know what it was. I'd never had any gastrointestinal problems my whole life. And all of a sudden, I couldn't keep weight on. I was constantly in pain. I was struggling just to do everyday activities. And I started taking medication. And for about 15 to 16 years or so, I managed life with medications. I went through infusions. I tried different alternative alternative forms of therapy. But nothing got rid of it. And it, it isn't a disease that you can get rid of. There's no cure for this disease. There's only ways to manage it and keep it in remission. Well, it, I hit a critical mass about six years ago now, seven years ago. God, the clock just keeps moving. And I... I could not function anymore with the the medication I was using to try to manage the, the the disease. And so I ended up having to have surgery. And I removed, during that surgery, my entire large intestine was taken out. And, and then my surgeon sat down with me. There was a thought that they could reverse the surgery or do kind of a modified surgery. It's called a J-pouch. I wasn't able to actually get that done. So the surgeon whack, went back in in a second attempt and took out my colon and everything else. And so now I live what's called... Uh, with a ileostomy on my side and a little bag. And going into this surgery, I knew this was a possibility, but I never thought I would end up 
with this bag in, in any sort of permanent way. I never even wanted to consider life with a bag and this little ileostomy, this little piece of my small intestine sticking out of my side. And I woke up and I was mortified and I was depressed and I was, I was really contemplating where I would go next with my life. And I had this wonderful beacon of hope with me the entire time. And that was my wife. And, and she said, look, you have some choices here. You can either choose to make the best of it or you can just suffer and, and, and wallow away in your own misery. And I, I decided to make the best of it. And I remember specifically having to, I was instructed by a nurse to walk around the nurse's station, which is a, I think Beck, this is probably a 25 foot or maybe a 12 meter walk. It's just not very, it's not very long. And I couldn't do it. I was so fatigued and so out of sorts because of these surgeries. I couldn't even make it around the nurse's station. It was part of my rehabilitation was just to go through this exercise. And I remember telling my wife, I said, I'm going to go so much further one day. Had never been a distance runner had never been a runner at all in high school or college, never had that background. And I started running and slowly started to build up to a half marathon. And, and going back to last fall was the first time I ever officially ran a half marathon and then started doing these endurance runs with Rick and started to build up, but had never actually put down a full marathon. And so when this idea of the world marathon challenge came about, I was like, what a wonderful opportunity to go see what I, what I'm made of, go see if I can actually do something that's so over the top, that's so great. And so, so, uh, hard that I wanted to see if I could tackle it. Yeah. Wow. What a, what an incredible story. Um, I remember learning about, um, your, your condition halfway through the trip and it was something that I was completely blown away with that you were pushing the limits of, of what people thought was possible. And I, I even remember on the first day when someone mentioned that there was someone on our trip that had not completed a marathon before. And I thought, Oh, that dude's crazy. Like <laughs> we're here trying to tackle seven in seven days. And this guy hasn't put down a full marathon yet. Like, Oh, what was going through your mind at that time? Like when you were surrounded by potentially people that had all this experience and had been able to experience a, a full marathon before, and you were kind of the, the guy that was uh, not sure yet. Yeah, I think it was a lot of blind optimism. I really just didn't know what that felt like to run a full marathon and and experience that uh, that event. And then I didn't know what it would feel like the next day, and then to have to try to do it again. And and I didn't I didn't allow myself to go there. I didn't allow myself to start thinking marathon two and three and four because I knew if that happened, I would overwhelm myself. And I think that's something that is one of the big takeaways from this entire experience is we as human beings easily defeat ourselves mentally before we even try something physically because we let it overwhelm our, our own minds with what is actually going to happen and what could come of whatever we're attempting. And so instead of doing that, what I learned, have learned to do, and I certainly did this on the 777 challenge, was break it into smaller parts and don't, don't try to eat it all at one time. It's like a it's like a pizza. If you tried to sit down and eat a large pizza, it might be impossible. But if you tried to eat one slice at a time and slowly work through it, you eventually can finish that pizza. It may take you a couple of days, but you can eventually get it done. And that's the idea behind something that's so big and some big impossible type goal that you set for yourself is break it into smaller parts. So I never let myself wander beyond that first marathon. And I was so excited to be in this you know, in this group of, of accomplished runners 
and and learn about everyone's story and learn about why people are there and and get to to root them on and be a part of it. I didn't have this goal. I'm going to go win this thing. This was I want to go survive this thing. I actually had three goals heading into the World Marathon Challenge. It was, you know, get enough training in that I can actually, you know, get to the the start line of Marathon One, get there safely, and then finish. There was never a thought of put down a big significant time, set a personal record, do something that, you know, kind of floors people. It was more just go get it done and don't give up. And that's something that I've, I've, I, I think I've always had inside of me is that no quit type attitude. And that's something I, I would love for my kids to have, you know, my friends and family, people that I talk to about these types of experiences. Don't let, don't let your mind defeat you because it can quickly give up well before your body has a chance to. Yeah, absolutely. So would you say that your sort of goal or the, one of the purposes, obviously you went through your three goals, one of the purposes was really about just pushing your own personal limitations rather than focusing on any other part of the race? Yeah, and I think that when you when you focus on you and you don't get caught up in everything else and trying to make it a competition, even though it very much was, then you can appreciate the small victories. And that's that goes along with breaking into smaller achievable goals. And the small victories, sometimes it was, I put down a decent mile. That was a good time for me in that mile. There's another half marathon that I just ran. There's a you know another continent I can check off my bucket list of, I just traveled around the world. I mean, even though we didn't get to experience the world, meaning you and I didn't get to go out and and have dinner in these in these cities that we visited and really get to see the attractions and the and the sites that are that are at these places we still touched down on seven continents in one week's time i don't know people in their lifetime that will get to say they touched down on all seven continents so although we didn't get to go and experience every continent we were on every continent over a 7 day period of time that is mind blowing to think about the fact that we pulled that off. And that's such a neat thing to be able to look back on. And so I, I got so consumed with those little things that the big things didn't seem so big to me. Yeah, that's, that's so awesome. I, um, I, I feel the same when it comes to thinking about the seven days, like we jam packed so much into such a short period of time that even months later, I think I'm still, downloading what we really did in that seven days because like you're saying there was just so much like our feet stepped on every single continent in the entire world and our heart raced on them and we were able to do so many things in such a short space of time it really was quite amazing Um, one of the things that I love about your journey is that you actually spent the time with Rick so obviously um, you know you went into this challenge as you know, a friendship already. Talk to me a little bit about that because like for someone like me, as an example, I traveled halfway across the world and was completely on my own and didn't really obviously make friends until I met all of the wonderful people that we raced with. But you got to experience that epic journey with someone who was a great friend. What what was that like for you? You know, it, I thought a lot about that because there's a part of me that feels so very fortunate to have shared this experience with Rick and then our buddy Jeremy who video uh, videoed the whole thing. But there's a part of me that also is a bit jealous of the fact that you did this journey on your own. And I don't mean you were on your own because we were all together and there was a big communal support 
that that occurred on this on this trip with with our group of runners and and that's evident in the fact that we've all stayed in touch and even done some some post marathon or post world marathon uh, runs together and why I say I'm jealous is because I think there's such a growth and maturation that comes from doing something alone and it's it's like going to a movie I I will candidly admit that it wasn't until later in life that I ever even went to a movie by myself. That sounds so dumb. That sounds like such a stupid thing to say. But the, think about it. The reason when I go to movies, I want to go with someone else because I want to share that experience. I'm not talking to them while I'm at the movie, but I want to have my reactions be their reactions and we both share and then we can talk about it after and and we experience it together. And so I got all that with Rick because we, we were able to download each race and talk about what we experienced, even though we were running at completely different paces, he's a much, much faster runner, but we were able to talk about the, the experience that we had. And then we were, you know, we were bunk mates for lack of a better term on the plane. And so we were next to each other, basically living next to each other for a week straight. And you learn everyone's, you learn like idiosyncrasies, even about your friends that you didn't know. But part of me wonders what that would have been like if I had to do it without any friend until I got there and made friends and it really had to kind of come out of that comfort zone that I was essentially in because of this built-in friendship that I brought along with me. I wouldn't have done it any other way. I wouldn't undo it for, for anything in the world, but I just, it's an observation that I've made and thought about in the months since we've done that and thinking about what, what must someone like Beck feel like having done that without a built-in friendship you obviously had Linda and you made friends with people on the trip, but it wasn't the same as coming with one of your mates and, and experiencing it with them. So for me, I feel extremely fortunate that I was able to do it. Rick is a tremendous human being beyond his athletic abilities. And he's such a fun person to spend time with. And I feel like we were the three amigos, Rick, uh, Jeremy and I, because the three of us were just making each other laugh the entire time. And I don't know if I would have survived if not for all that laughter. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Rick was a superstar and um, it was so great to have you both on the trip. Um, I know that we could definitely talk about this all day, but uh, let's get into some of the race content. Um, obviously, we were on the, the seven different continents and uh, we met in Cape Town, which was um, fabulous. It was great to meet everyone pre-race. Um, what was your uh, experience like of that first marathon, not just being the first of the, of the World Marathon Challenge, but of course, your first official race um, as, a, as a marathoner? I, I You know, I, I didn't I wasn't able to call myself a marathoner until that first race. And so I, after, after the race had completed and I crossed that finish line, I officially got to call myself a marathoner, but leading up to the race, I was a little nervous. The heart started beating a little faster. I was like, what is this going to be like? And then all of a sudden the, it happened, seemed to happen so fast. The gun goes off and we start running and I just kind of started to kind of get into my little routine of what I was going to do. And I had a game plan of how I was going to run that first marathon. And I completely abandoned the game plan and just did what felt right. And what my body was telling me was okay to do. And there was all this wind along the boardwalk where, where we ran. And I thought that was significant wind. We'll talk about Antarctica and what real wind is, but I thought what we were experiencing in Cape town was real wind. And I was kept getting blown all over the course. And I was like, Oh my gosh, is anyone else feeling this? Because you're out there not by yourself, but you're out there running your own race. And so there's not a lot of time for conversation 
other than, you know, short highs and buys and waves and things. And so I, I wasn't sure what everyone else was experiencing. The weather wasn't bad. We started at night. And so it was actually quite pleasant. And I had no idea how fortunate we were to have the weather that we had because I, you know, we, when we get into Antarctica and then later into Brazil, those, those weather conditions were atrocious. So first marathon was, was pretty, uh, pretty exciting. And then when I crossed the finish line, I came through the last turn and I saw the clock, they had a digital clock up ahead and I saw that I could break five hours. And for me, that was not even the goal was to break seven hours. And I was at five hours and I could break it and I was tired and I was struggling but I was able to get across just under five hours and it was pretty exciting to run my first marathon in sub five, which I know sounds to really accomplish marathon marathoners that that's, that's a pretty, you know, uh, pretty slow time, but I was excited to do it because I'd never run a marathon before. Oh, absolutely. For someone doing their first marathon to put down a sub five, um, particularly knowing that you have another six to go, I think is incredible. <laughs> um, and obviously the experience of the first one um, was a little bit windy and um, that was a challenge for all of us to uh, to combat. I know, um, yeah, people were probably a little bit unexpected for the conditions anyway, because I know that wasn't the the planned first race. And as runners, we had to deal with that um, psychologically as well, thinking that our first race would be in the cold and that it ended up being in this, you know, beautiful humid temperatures in Cape Town. So, um, yeah, definitely an interesting one for your first one. And I, I think you'll, uh, you'll never forget that one. That's for sure. <laughs> True. Um, so after we finished in Cape Town, obviously we headed down to the Antarctic and you've already mentioned the sort of the privilege that we've had to touch down on so many wonderful places around the world. And, and the Antarctic is definitely one of those. Um, what was your, what was your mindset like going into the Antarctic? Um, had you run in any of those conditions of the sort of really cold temperatures before? Like, obviously you're from Arizona, so, um, does it get really cold there? No, no. The short answer is no. I'd never run in subarctic conditions in my life. In fact, the running shoes, because we had special shoes for Antarctica, and the running running gear was only put on once, and it was put on just because I needed to to know what it felt like to be in that. And I think I ran like a four mile loop around my house, and then I was dying of heat exhaustion because it was still quite warm with all that gear. But I had to at least break it in and see what it felt like to run in that stuff. So I had never actually put on my gear and run in those conditions ever until we get to Antarctica, which was just, it was like visiting a different planet. It was so unbelievable, so beyond comprehension that I look back on that race alone. And I think you said it best and I'll steal this line from you because I love it. That's like its own race. That is truly yeah. like its own race. And then you have, then you have six others. That's really how I look at that one. Yeah. Absolutely. I could not agree more. <laughs> I definitely felt like I was on a completely different planet when I was down there. And um, I know that I've, I've shared a little bit about how, how brutal that experience was. I mean, such a beautiful place, but uh, the conditions that we faced, uh, particularly that year, you know, being the, the most um, 
drastic, I think, and the and the worst conditions, I guess, in the Antarctic that the World Marathon Challenge runners or participants had faced before. So, you know, previous years we have heard stories from other participants of it being challenging, but we definitely were facing the most challenging conditions. Um, so going in, you know, you, you haven't run in those conditions before. You're in the sub-Antarctic <laughs> and uh, you're there with your buddy Rick and we're about to start race number two. Um, what was that experience like for you personally? So I had a lot of, uh, I had a, I should say a big advantage. I had a lot of thoughts after about all of these runs because I didn't know as much as you knew because you had researched some of this and talked to some other competitors. And I found out you actually went to Perth the year before uh, to watch the race. I didn't know anything about anything. And when I say that, I don't mean to say I'm, I was completely in the dark. I just didn't have a lot of understanding about what each race was going to be like. So I didn't think about what was going to happen until I was out on the course. Now there's good and bad to that. The good is, you know, you don't have any expectations to be let down by the, the bad is you don't have any preparation. You don't have a game plan that you actually can execute on when you're out there. So we were told we're staying, we're, we're hiding these little like cargo containers to, to avoid being blasted by this gale force wind that was hitting us, which is, it makes South Africa look like we were, you know, in a, in a little bit of a, a light breeze. I mean, it was just so, the wind was so crazy that we had to stay in these little cargo containers until the race organizer said, okay, we're ready to go out. And I still, as my, as I think back, I, I was just kind of like, what is this going to be like? Are they really going to put us out there? What are we doing? And all of a sudden we go out and the weather had devolved so bad from when we got there to when we, that we started the race, the weather had gotten nasty and we start running and I'll tell you, if you go back to Cape town, just for a second, you and Linda were running together and I kind of had you in my eyesight the entire race. And not because you and I had really spent any time together or gotten to know each other. You just were ahead of me in terms of your pace. And I kind of knew where I was in the race based on where I saw you and Linda. Well, in, in Antarctica, everyone was so covered up. I didn't know who was who. So I didn't know who to, I couldn't pace myself against another runner. I'm like, where's Beck? Like, I didn't even know. Like, honestly, I had no idea. I didn't know if you were behind me. I didn't know if you finished an hour before me. I had no idea because everyone was literally head to toe covered with, uh, with gear. So I start out and one direction of the race was with the wind at your back. So, so much so that you literally were getting pushed forward. You had to run. You just, if you walked, it was kind of silly because the wind was so strong at your back that it was almost pushing you forward. And then you turned around. And you went directly into the wind for the other way. So the first loop, I think it was 14 loops. The first loop, I tried to run the whole thing. I could not run this, the second half where you're running into the wind. I was just not moving very fast. So I decided, okay, this is going to be a run-walk race for me. I'm going to run the side with the wind at my back. And then I'm going to walk back into the wind and just kind of put my head down and go as fast as I can on that side. And then when I get to the end, I'll turn around and I'll, I'll run back. So I did that for 14 loops and slowly runners started to leave the course, meaning they were finishing. And I was like, oh my gosh, I still have three loops left, or I still have, you know, however many loops I had to go. And I, I again, I tried to block that out. I tried to think about it because it was, the weather was so bad. It was so cold. I didn't eat any nutrition the entire race. Didn't take one gel pack. Didn't drink any water. This is not advisable, by the way, if you're listening to this podcast, but you... <laughs> have to do what you have to do. And you have to pivot on the fly. And my pivot was, I'm not going to get off this race course until I'm done. And so that's what I did. It took seven hours. It was a long run. 
It was a very, very long run. And I think I'm nearly shivering just recountering that story with you. It really was another race. And like I try and describe at times just how cold and windy it really was. And like, I just, I don't find that I can actually find the words. Like I say, it's minus 25 degrees. That's Celsius, of course. And people are just like, what? Like it, it got that cold. I'm like, it was freezing. Like I couldn't feel my body. I didn't want to stop at the tent to, to eat or to drink. And even when I did, you know, I would be pouring something into a cup and it would be freezing halfway. So it was kind of pointless anyway. And Like people just don't, grasp those conditions and you're a hundred percent right like even going in I think we were both a little bit naive about what kind of situation we were getting ourselves into and and I'm not quite sure if that paid to our advantage or not but I think I definitely learned a lot about human capacity in that race like as you said it, it took seven hours and and you were um, able to run faster on one side but on that other side like there were times where I just thought to myself this is crazy like I can't believe they're letting us out in these conditions and I don't know if I can do this anymore you know there was a lot of there was a lot of really tough moments in that race where I just I think I was almost done and it was because of the conditions like it was brutal and would you say the same for you like did you were there points in that race where you just struggled and you thought I don't know if I can get this done 100%. I, I, I probably quit mentally 15 times in that race and there's only 14 loops. And, and I, I think what happened was I just kept telling myself, okay, let's break it into smaller pieces. I'm going to go, let's get through this side and then I'll go back through the other side. And that's one loop. And then I was like, let's get through this next loop. And then I was like, okay, I've, you know, let's get through the third loop. And I started talking to myself because there wasn't, there's nothing but wind. It was just howling wind. There was no sound. It was, it was an eerie silence. I, this is the marathon I get asked most about, and I'm sure you, you feel the same because everyone wants to know, cause it's just such a foreign experience to go to Antarctica. And I agree with you. I do struggle to find the words to explain what this was like. And I don't mean to overstate what we experienced, but if you weren't there, you don't and can't fully appreciate what we experienced. It was, it was so hard and it was so cold and it was so, uh, it's such a, uh, euphoric experience at times that I wouldn't change it for the world, but I also don't know that I'd ever do it again. I mean, it was so, it was one of those, like I did it and I'm good and I don't ever need to go. I don't need to go try to break seven hours back. I don't have any desire to do that again. It's one of those things where I'm glad I did it. Uh, it's one of those notches in my, in my belt loop, but I'm certainly not looking to repeat that in any way, but that was the first race where I realized that we were all in this together. And what I mean by that is even though I couldn't identify any other runner, even though I didn't know where you were on the course or where even Rick was, I think I saw him at one point on the race. The, the experience after the race was awesome. So I get done and I make my way back to that cargo container and my fellow racers, a lot of the guys that, that were in my cargo container, cause we'd split up into different ones were already done. They're just faster, more accomplished runners. They immediately put me near the, the furnace. There was a little furnace in there, uh, providing heat. They went and got me food. They went and got me something to drink. And it's not like I was incapacitated. They just did it because they were just being kind and they'd already done it for each other. And they were, some of them were sleeping. They got up and made sure I had everything I needed. And they were truly concerned for my well being. And it was the first time in that, that journey where I realized we were doing this together. This was not a solo journey. This was a team event and we were all very much going to rely on each other for the duration of the trip. 
Yeah, it was really wonderful experience, wasn't it? At the end, when we were all able to come together and and celebrate what we had been through together and what we had accomplished individually, the fact that so many of us were able to overcome those conditions and and triumph, I think, is um, says a lot about the human spirit, which is pretty amazing. Um, leaving the Antarctic, we obviously were pretty keen to get out of there. <laughs> And then uh, we headed across to uh, the wonderful Perth in Australia, which was home soil for me, which was very exciting. Um, Talk to me about your experience of Perth, because I think you might have a little bit of a soft spot for our country. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Uh, Beck, I love Australia. This is no secret to anyone that gets to spend even more than five minutes with me. I have an entire tattoo sleeve on my left arm that is dedicated to Australia, because if I can't be there I can look at look at it every day and think about Australia, which I do very often. And I love the continent of Australia. I love the people, you included. I have never had I've been I've spent so much time in different cities, Sydney and Melbourne, and I was up at the Great Barrier Reef in Hamilton Island. And everyone from every experience that I've had has been amazing. And Perth was no exception. The people that greeted us in the airport were phenomenal. The race track that we ran on, which was a running club. They were, we're there in the middle of the night. If you think about this for a minute, we show up in the middle of the night and these wonderful people opened up their hearts and, and volunteered to be out there and, and provided us with a place to change and food to eat and set up aid stations. And were there supporting us and cheering us on in the middle of the night. This was not like they were doing it at four in the afternoon. They were not doing this at a normal time. They were there at two in the morning and three in the morning and four in the morning. And they spent their night with us, a group of unknowns to simply root us on. And what what people do that? I mean, where we didn't have that experience in any of the other races. And that's not a knock on any other country. That is a testament to Australians and who you are at your core. And that was every bit what I thought I would experience there. What I didn't think I would experience was we go out on this racetrack and we start running. And I'd come up, this is my third marathon now. And I'd come off a miserable outing in Antarctica. And I just wanted to have a good run. And so I decided I was going to start to cheer on all of my fellow runners. And so every time someone passed me, it was a track that was pretty narrow. Uh, you had a, you know, one side was going one direction, the other side was coming back against you. And I just was cheering on everyone as I saw people run making sure to acknowledge them, making sure to make eye contact. It is amazing the energy that you draw when you are giving energy to others. And I never thought of that as a reality until Perth, Australia. I was so full of energy because I was giving this encouragement to my fellow runners that it pulled me across the finish line in what will become or still is my personal record in a marathon. I finished it in just over four hours at a blazing speed, in my opinion, didn't think it was even possible, didn't know how I did it now as I look back. And I was certain that because we were running overnight, I was going to see the sunrise as I was running because that was my thought in terms of when I would actually finish the marathon. I did get to see the sunrise, but I was long done and I'd already showered and eaten something. And then I got to walk out and watch the sun rise in Perth, Australia. And it was probably one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Yeah, just incredible. I still can't believe it either. After you complete your first marathon you've ever done in Cape Town, you have a brutal experience that took you seven hours in the Antarctic and then somehow you managed to back up 
those first two with a PB, which is just, um, it's just amazing. But I love, I love the sentiment uh, that you shared about the encouragement that you give to other people fuels yourself because I totally get that. Whenever we begin to give of ourselves, we just get back so much. And I think that your entire race in Perth is just testament to that, which um, is fantastic. And I, I'm excited that Perth is obviously your favorite because that means Australia is your favorite. <laughs> um, For sure, course, 100%. Of course, then after we experienced a beautiful sunrise, we all um, continued on our journey. Um, and as as you mentioned, the, the race uh, team in Perth, it was quite amazing that they were there through their night because for us, I mean, we ran, what, four of our seven races, I think, in, in the nighttime or in the dark at some point. And um, for us, it didn't really matter. Like, I felt like we were sort of on our own time zone and wherever we landed, we just started running when we got there. But for those that were local time, you know, they were going out of their way and, and outside their normal time zones to to facilitate that for us, which was quite incredible. But um, it definitely felt like we were on our own time zone, especially when we left Perth um, in the in the morning and uh, headed up to Dubai, uh, which was a very unique experience uh, in itself. And, um, of course, that was another one that we ran in the dark. <laughs> but there was definitely a, a theme of night runs for us this time around. And um, that was actually where I got to, to know you, Jonathan, the most, which was a, a fantastic experience. It was obviously one of our slower times because we spent some time working, walking together. Um, but I really appreciated the ability to um, get to know yourself and, and Jen, one of the other runners, and share our stories. So talk me through um, your experience of, of what it was like to run in the middle of the night in some pretty humid conditions in Dubai. Yeah, I I was not excited about Dubai and for a variety of reasons, but I I got out there and I knew that if I put down the time that I put down in Perth that I would pay for it in Dubai. What I mean by that is I had this nagging injury that I came into the World Marathon Challenge with. I had what's called a grade three stress fracture in my right leg. It was an injury that had happened in the summer before we went and did this. I thought I had rehabbed to a point that I was better, but I re-aggravated it before I left and and then ended up, ended up um, with a diagnosis of a grade three stress fracture, which to, to kind of give some... Uh, I guess some some context to that. A grade four is is where your leg snaps, and so I was really close to just having my leg cave out and and give in. And it's amazing it didn't happen, but I knew I would feel it in Dubai, and I did. And and I was I was hurting, and so in Dubai I did something very uh, strange. I looked at the local time and realized that back here in Arizona it was in the middle of the day. And so I have my own law firm. It's a small firm with about 10 employees. I called one of my employees and just started talking about what was going on since I've been gone and fill me in on stuff because I needed to take myself mentally away from that run. And I and so I did the first few laps that way because I just wanted to to disconnect myself mentally from that run because of the pain and I didn't want to feel it. And then I got off the phone and I realized I still had a lot of a lot, a lot of race left. And I caught up with you and Jen. And by happenstance, it was not planned. You guys were walking and I asked if I could walk along with you. And the three of us got to know each other. We got to tell our stories and learn about each other. And during that conversation, I come to find out, not only are you a terrific human being that works for an amazing charity back in Australia, 
but you deal with adversity quite well. Something I am still trying to learn from, and and I will always keep this this memory very close to my heart because you had been you were about a lap ahead of me in this race, and when I caught up to you, I knew I that that Jen was about where I was, but you had you had slowed down to a walk, but you were ahead of both of us. The race organizers somehow thought you were at the same lap count as Jen and I, and you weren't. And we talked about this as we walked because you realize you're like, I'm not at the same lap count. And we agreed and we all knew that. But watching you work through that adversity and dealing with it is something that I hope to get better at in my life because adversity is going to come in all different shapes and sizes. It's going to come often. It's not something that you can deal with. What you can choose is how you respond to it and how you process it and how you how you eventually digest the adversity. And that's something that I, I learned from you because you were so kind and so willing to deal with what was being thrown at you, even if you had to do an extra lap in marathon four, which is a tall order to ask anyone do anyone to do. You just were dealing with it and said, Oh, if I have to run one more, I will. I, I don't think that's accurate, but I'll do it. Eventually, fortunately, the race organizers caught the mistake and you were able to finish ahead of Jen and I, but watching you, that is my, my memory from Dubai. It is not the race. It is not the phone call to people back home. It is not the boardwalk. It is watching you deal with that. And it was such a, an amazing thing to watch you deal with that and have it happen over the course of a race and go from encountering the adversity to processing the adversity to the conclusion of that adversity. It's just something that I, I will always take with me. And I, I just applaud you for how you dealt with it. Oh, thank you, my friend. I really appreciate that. Uh, it's definitely a, a an interesting experience the way that we um, experience something ourselves, but I think we can definitely underestimate the power of those watching us and being influenced by that journey. And I love how you just articulated that, you know, something that I was able to to do actually helped you because I feel exactly the same in so many of those races where I was watching yourself and and the other participants enduring the same things I was, but I was almost, it was like a parallel experience. You know, I was able to personally go through it, but I was able to watch other people go through the same experience and deal with it in so many different ways. And I feel like that journey in itself was just such a powerful one. Um, so yeah, thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate that. And um, of course, we we did finish. We eventually got it done. <laughs> However many laps we had to we did. do, we got we got the thing done, and uh, I, I do believe it was pretty close to sunrise on that one as well when we finished. And then uh, we basically packed up our bags and was on a mad rush to get back on the plane and um, get to our next destination. All I remember at the end of Dubai is just rushing like a mad woman. 